Hello everyone, and welcome back to The White Lotus. I mean, what? Welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read. Just kidding. <laughs> little uh, joke I threw in there at the last minute for the visual listeners. I'm wearing this fun little floral print Hawaiian-esque top. Although I've heard and seen on social media, <laughs> which is, you know, my news source, that Hawaii is like being overrun by tourists because everyone feels like, yay, COVID is over and it's summer and we can travel. And as someone who has never been and really wants to go, but also respects that like, I would like the time and money and to like have the right experience and make sure that everyone is safe and healthy it's definitely not the right time to go to hawaii um and that's kind of what our our show the the white lotus likes to read um i think i mentioned also i'm rachel polanski hi this is i like to read a podcast where i mostly talk about books but occasionally we talk about other things i am going to do a brief little pop culture corner um, to check in about some fun things that i have been watching lately before we dive into the books if you are new here, I usually talk about five or six books. So if you if you want just the book part, maybe fast forward like a little bit. But if you want to get to know me, yo, what's up? Um, listen to the old episodes, review me, stay tuned for a fun Edgar Allan Poe, the illustrations of Edgar Allan Poe interview with former guest or for, former professor of mine and also a former guest. But he, he was a guest, previous guest, a repeat guest, a return guest. That's the word. It's hot and manic energy, and you you get what you get. You get the late afternoon trying to, like, make this timely and not stumble too much on my words. Like, I really wonder, you know, sometimes <laughs> would it benefit my, me to, like, maybe, like, write out sort of my initial thoughts on the book and after I read it so I can, like, remember a little more. I usually just, like, go off of the gut feeling and then replenish the old noggin with the details from Goodreads. Anyways, I'm all over the place. We'll get to that in a second. What have I been watching and enjoying? As I said earlier, I really have been enjoying The White Lotus on HBO. It is written and produced by Mike White, who is known for the show Enlightened, which I missed when it came on because I think it was in the early 2000s and only on for like a season. No, it was on for a season and then he was given sort of like the comeback, I believe, given the opportunity to make a second season. And Laura Dern is the star and it's fantastic. He just has this like really acerbic humor and social commentary that's very cutting and entertaining and still just like something is slightly off and you're watching a train wreck like about to happen which is what's happening in the show the white lotus i believe all six episodes will be out at the time of release at the time of recording we are two-thirds of the way in we know that it starts off with the murder but it's not i would definitely not describe it as a murder mystery we know that there's a dead body i should say um but we don't know what happened to you we don't know if it's a murder we don't know if it's an accidental death we don't even know if it's a human necessarily what we do know is that there's a ton of perfectly cast characters including jennifer coolidge wow i just went so long without saying an um it was kind of kind of awesome but of course had to break it with a water break um jennifer coolidge steve lacy steve zahn jake lacy not steve lacy um natasha rothwell Lots of just everyone is great. Sydney Sweeney, Connie Britton, how could I forget? Um, so if you're into sort of like acerbic drama, no, it's definitely, it's a, it's a dark comedy, I would say. There's obviously dramatic elements and it gets a little dark and weird at times, but there's nothing like super intense and gory or violent, at least so far. Um, saw The Green Knight in theaters. Definitely enjoyed it. It's definitely, you know, it's it's sitting with me and it's the sort of, I've always been infatuated in one way or another with the Arthurian legends um, since, a, since I was a wee young child. And I definitely have been remiss, especially in the past, you know, five years. There's been a lot of 
more stuff that's come out in one way or another. I've sort of, you know, haven't really explored the Arthurian legends in any new way recently, um, although I did read a really cool retelling of the Arthurian legends from the Eleanor Lady of Shallot point of view, which will be coming, I believe, in the next episode, because we already have six books for this one, and I didn't have time to squeeze it in, but it will be coming. Um, so The Green Knight, it was a take on the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which I have read a couple of times. So kind of you know, going into it, knowing the story, but also knowing that David Lowry is definitely going to play with that story and play with our the our interpretations of what is sort of accepted and passed down as Arthurian legend and playing with our notion of that, playing with our notion of what it means to be a hero. It definitely was slow at times, but I appreciated the slowness because it was so rich and visual. Do I think that this is one that should be seen on the big screen? Absolutely. There is a reason that they waited. I would not have gotten the same experience, even though when I'm at home watching a movie, I try my best to even, you know, we'll move the couch close to the screen and I'll try my best not to be on my phone, but it's just not the same. You know, when I'm in a theater, I fully disconnect from my phone. I, you know, have a little wee gummy sometimes and I'm just ready to sit back. So if you're into any sort of fantasy, atmospheric, moody, uh, you know, retelling of the Arthurian legend without, you know, really being just a hero's journey and quest and the way that we play with those archetypes as well, then I definitely recommend seeing that one in theaters. And before we get to our books, I just also wanted to give a quick shout out to the film, the Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige. It was not my first time watching it last night, although Jason's first time, it was Jason's first time watching. I think I watched this film for the first time in college and I was definitely just like blown away. There is a lot, you know, it makes sense ultimately, but you know, Christopher Nolan loves to play with his timelines. He loves to play with the format of story and what, you know, constitutes a beginning and a middle and an end. This, The Prestige plays with a lot of really cool themes of, you know, not only you know, it deals with two magicians trying to make a name for themselves in London society, but what it means to be an illusion or a real human, what it means to devote yourself fully to the craft of magic. I picked up on a lot more nuances, I think, watching it for, I think this was my third time, um, because once you sort of get past the initial twists and sort of the initial storytelling mind names, you're really able to like sink yourself into the meat of the story and understand why Christopher Nolan decided to frame these characters in this narrative in this way. So I think if you haven't watched The Prestige in a long time, first of all, if you've never seen it, check it out for sure. Definitely like one of probably the best movies ever, just objectively. I mean, I think it's really freaking fantastic. Um, But if you haven't seen it in a while and you've already seen it, definitely recommend revisiting it, putting away your phone for two hours and sort of just giving into it and then just like seeing what comes back and seeing what you'll take out of it another time. So if you're going to rewatch it, let me know what you think of it. But this is not a movie podcast. This is a book podcast. And I'm here to talk to you about not five, but six books this week. And I'm kind of cheating because two of them go together. So um, I'm going to, I'm just going to bundle them together because they are the two books consecutive in a series. So first we have The Hand on the Wall and The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson, respectively in the Truly Devious series, book three and book four. So the Truly Devious series deals with 80 teen detective, I don't want to say teen detective, Stevie is a young woman who happens to be a teenager but possesses a lot of adult-like qualities. She's sort of like if Nancy Drew and 
Paul Holes, Billy Jensen combined into one teenage or human. Funnily enough, this the fourth book in the series, The Box in the Woods, is actually dedicated to Billy Jensen. True crime fans, y'all will know. Um, so these, I had read the first two books when they came out a few years ago. Didn't even realize that I somehow missed the third book, but somehow instinctually put the fourth book on my recommendation list at the library. So when that became available, I was about to read it. And then I was like, wait, I think I'm missing something. So I happened to get lucky. The third book happened to be available at the library. So I was able to read that and then we read the fourth one. I mean, they're just classic young adults at its best. And when I mean that, I mean like, yes, some of the turns might seem a little bit predictable and some of the twists, but it's really like the characters are meaty. Stevie deals, like it also deals with what it means to be a detective. And I think a lot of books that deal with, you know, the young the plucky young woman who is thrust into things and gets into trouble, but, you know, if it weren't for those meddling kids, would have solved everything. It's a lot more than that because as Stevie evolves as a character and as the cases that she's involved in <clears throat> involved in evolve, we really, Johnson has so, so much to say about, like, what it means to immerse yourself in these cases and especially as a young woman, how it takes a toll on your relationships with others, how it takes a toll on your personal self. Um, of course, both of these books have a really well-written and interesting central mystery to them that Stevie is trying to solve. Um, especially in the fourth one, I really enjoyed that, The Box in the Woods, which takes place at a summer camp. The, so the, thir the first three books of the trilogy take place or surrounding this truly devious mystery um, connected to the school that Stevie goes to, and that's what sort of sets off her investigation. All that being said, true crime fans, this one is for you. If you're into sort of also understanding how true crime affects somebody and how, you know, Again, like there's so many books written about these young women who suddenly just find themselves in investigations and young adult novels, and they're filled with really cool, fun plot twists and cool stories. But as a character, I'm like, okay, but they just went through a lot. Like they saw seven people get murdered, and they potentially stopped other people from getting murdered, and they did X and Y and Z and put their way put themselves in harm so many different ways. And I'm like, that would definitely take a psychological toll on you, and it's usually not really addressed or not addressed well in a lot of things that I've written. I'm saying that off the top of my head. I'm sure I could come up with some other ones, but this one definitely, these the series definitely stands out as one where Stevie, you know, it has the young adult aspect just because she is younger. Um, Johnson is aware that her readers are probably, you know, starting around age 13, so she's careful not to insert too much, you know, violence and gore and sexual assault, but there are those elements and it's definitely, you know, not for kids, kids, but I think it's also in a really great way for younger adults. I mean, I was reading, you know, when I was like nine, I was reading books made for like 17 year olds. So who am I to judge? But definitely start with the first one. Um, obviously, this is your reminder if you've read one of the first two or one of the one of the first three to check out the fourth one, which is out now. I remember reading one of Maureen Johnson's, maybe her first book, 13 Little Blue Envelopes. And I have a certain like photographic memory for certain covers that I just guess they really stuck out to me. And there was that period of time in like the mid early 2000s where they like to use realistic photos of people on their covers. And that's like a whole sort of more like thesis and thing that I could really think about more intellectually rather than just like spewing random thoughts. But from 13 Little Blue Envelopes, which I read when I was definitely like 12, maybe 13, but 13 even seems like old sometimes. No, but I've been reading young adult novels since since I was 10. Um, but and I'm here, still here at 27, reading her books, and she's continued to stay relevant and changing, changing, keeping her heart and soul with the writing. Her characters have always really been like alive and vivacious. But I think the way that she addresses the true crime community and the toll that it takes on people is really unique. So 
Next, we have The Seed Keeper by Diane Wilson. So this, I kind of like wasn't totally sure. Again, like I usually don't like to read most of the summary. Maybe I'll have like a brief idea of what the book is about if I've seen it recommended because of its plot summary. But sometimes I'm just like, oh, this book looks good or whatever. I mean, again, whole thesis and whole whole other episode and whole other ballpark that we could get into and like the science and psychology of choosing books and like why I read what I read. But at first, so we get to know um, our main character, Rosalie Ironwing. It's clear that she is involved with the land. The importance of seeds and nature are very important from the beginning. The author, Diane Wilson, is, um, she's part of the Native American community. She is part of the the seed keepers talked about in the book. It's um, She's written some nonfiction about the importance of land and farming as well. I think this is her first novel, but it's clear not only that she has a master of writing, but that she also really understands the subject and gives a weight rather than just, oh, this is something I was interested in, but something that has directly affected her and her people and her ancestors. So Rosalie Ironwing, um, she sort of just seems like she's had a rough life. She's out of it. She's visiting this cabin. Um, We get flashbacks to her then when she's younger, and it's sort of unclear at times uh, where the story was going. I think just for like the first like 20, 30 pages, I was a little bit confused in terms of like the tone of the story, but then it very quickly, okay, I was like, oh, I get it. This is the story about one woman's sort of coming of age and late coming of age and reflection on her past life and how, you know, coming to terms with what could or could not have been in terms of her marriage and her son. And then also the connection that she has to this land. Um, There's definitely like some Aaron Brockovich vibes, you know, won't give too much away, but, you know, through the seeds and through the invention of the through the farmers the invention and the invasion of commercialism and commercialized industry. There's a lot of commentary on that. There are flashbacks to the ancestors and the um, the topics of women who have been sort of assimilated into these cultures, especially in the 1800s that was going on and like forced into these reform boarding schools that were meant to like take away parts of their identities. I highly recommend checking out Back to True Crime. This book is definitely not really true crime. It's more of just a portrait of a woman and women in general in this Native American tribe, but also um, the the relationship to our to the ground, both literally and metaphorically. You know, the, the space that we occupy and the the life the life that we choose to live, and how um, the earth is. You know, you don't really think so, especially living in an urban environment. I do go, you know, I go on walks and I'm outside, but I don't get to experience the vast land and nature that is so prevalent in the seed keeper so it definitely made me feel like I wanted to go on a sort of nature isolated cabin vacation and that doesn't happen too often so for that to actually happen successfully it's a good book trust me next we have women and other monsters building a new mythology by Jess Zimmerman again when I kind of went into the title says okay women and other monsters so clearly building a new mythology I guess I missed the mythology part, and not that this is a bad thing at all, but I had no idea that this was actually um, part analysis of women, female monsters or female-identified monsters in Greek mythology, and then how that sort of impacts modern society, and, and Jess Zimmerman in particular, how it impacts her as a woman who is, you know, she is fat, and she doesn't, she's, you know, she's that subjective, and she, that's Because of that, I think her weight and the way that she perceives herself and society perceives herself is, you know, very prevalent and very easy to see the similarities with the monsters from the Greek mythology. So, of course, there was some things that I was, uh, you know, sort of familiar with. You know, I dabbled in mythology. But, you know, 
there's, you know, she talks about Medusa and the harpies and the furies. And what I really liked is I don't think it would have been the same if it had just been, okay, here's women as monsters and we're going to explore them in mythology, but also explore how these themes and images are still part of modern society. I don't think it also would have been the same if she had just sort of talked about her otherness and like her lack of agency and how she can, you know, become, embrace the monstrous. Uh, I don't, I think the two together is really, really cool. I think that is special and different um, to have this sort of historical analysis piece and this more theoretical theory and to tie it in so much to her own sociocultural perspective and her understanding to her privilege and that she is just one voice but that she's hoping she can awaken these thoughts and awaken the monster in a lot of us um she does have another book called i think basic witch i i want to say it's called basic witch um some some book about witchcraft that i have yeah basic witches how to raise hell with your coven and summon success i have that actually the physical book and i got it years ago and i haven't read it yet but it makes me want to read this because the sort of genesis of nonfiction writing um if you're into this sort of thing, also quick shout out to my one of my mentors and Rachel Verona Cote, whose class I took last summer. Y'all will remember me talking about that. If you're OG fans of the podcast, she is now pregnant and expecting a wee little boy coming soon. Um, but her book, Too Much, um, took the lens of looking at the Victorian era as opposed to looking at Greek mythology. Um, but they have very similar um, but different explorations of how that has trickled down into pop culture and women in society today. So if you're interested in unleashing your inner monster, check out Women and Other Monsters. Next, we have Behold the Dreamers by Imbolo Mbue. And this actually came, and I'm sorry, so sorry if I butchered that pronunciation. This came out four years ago. So, you know, woo, basically a vintage novel for me. Um, I found this because I read her most recent book, which was sort of similar to The Seed Keepers, although it takes place in like a fictional African colony. Um, And I liked it. I gave it a three out of five stars. I didn't love it. I did like Behold the Dreamers better. This is a story of a family from Cameroon who moves to New York City and is trying to live the American dream. I think I vaguely knew that it took place during the 2008 stock market crash, um, but so they are moving, you know, just a couple of years before that. The father gets a job as a chauffeur for a wealthy family. You know, they're on the up and up. They're the mother is in school. Um, Jenda, Jenda is the father. Nanny is his wife. Um, very quickly, you know, the, it's not so much a, oh, look at the hardships and look what family has done to them. It shows that so many people come here with a dream and so many people come here with expectations, but also what are they sacrificing? And they left, you know, he didn't leave because their country was war-torn or because there was domestic violence or because so many other reasons people are leaving and seeking asylum. He simply just had a dream. And the idea of America that both of them saw on TV was obviously so different than what they expected, especially when they're coming here and knowing that the the stock market crash is looming. So that sort of hits us midway through the book, not a spoiler. And then it's how do they deal with the ramifications? And I found it I don't want I don't want to give anything away, but it was very heartbreaking in the sense that like it just felt so real. It didn't feel like dramatized, although I think this is a fictional story. I I'm sure, you know, it's based on real events that have happened to a lot of people. Of course, the financial crisis of 2008 rocked everyone in so many different ways. I can't even imagine what it would be like to not only, you know, have your job and your entire finances come crashing down, but also to learn that you have to leave this country. Um, But what happens also if this country was, you know, not the best for you? And how do you reconcile with, you know, wanting your resiliency and wanting to stay while so many circumstances are making it impossible? They, Nini and Jende have, you know, they start here with the same dream, but ultimately because they have different circumstances, even though they're living in the same house and the same marriage, the way that they have their dreams and want to fulfill 
the film, um, it quickly delves into just different, you know, how people deal with things differently and how can we maintain a family and a relationship while wanting to maintain our dreams. So this was a little bit longer, um, you know, not exactly a light read, but definitely something, you know, topical, of course, of the, you know, there's continuing issues with immigration, there's continuing issues with the financial market. And so if you're interested in um, one fictional family story of coming to America and just trying to survive and make a life for themselves and whether or not they'll be able to achieve their dreams, all set to the hustle and bustle backdrop of New York City, then check out Behold the Dreamers. And last, but certainly not, certainly not least, we have The 22 Murders of Madison May by Max Berry. This is kind of like, if before I fall, the classic Lauren Oliver book about a girl who dies and then has to like relive her life every day, sort of like, you know, Groundhog Day, but then she, instead she's just like trying, it's more, you know, teen-centric version, um, combined with Rick and Morty just because of the multiverse factor. So as the title might state, Madison May is actually not our main character, though I thought she She's sort of our main character, but she is murdered many, many times. And her um, murder is related, actually, I'm not going to give too much, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but it's related to multiverses and multiple timelines. And somehow this young reporter, Felicity, is because of Madison's first murder, or at least first to our knowledge murder. She gets thrown onto the case and through that she gets thrown into the timeline. So not only is she trying to like solve Madison's murder and it's very quickly, you know, who is murdering him, but also the why, um, what it means to have, again, lots of explorations of identity and what it means to exist. And like, though there are many different versions of ourselves and many, you know, it's a lot of the butterfly effect and what, what would happen if I stepped on a butterfly's wings and then a tsunami happened in Thailand. And what happens if you, you know, you have multiple lives and you have multiple paths, but also what what you know we live multiple lives and multiple paths in ourselves every day let alone multiple different universes so there's you know there's it's a fun thriller there's nothing too intense it does have some commentary again about one's identity and what it means to you know there's also commentaries on the idea the notion of obsession and infatuation and what it means to play with um, one's perception of the world um so if you're into sci-fi thrillers just something also different you know we don't get too many multiverse novels and sci-fi that also just like have a fun murder mystery not novel to them it's not who's killing her it's not is she gonna survive but it's like how is this all gonna wrap up and i think it does a pretty good job of that speaking of wrapping up i'm hot i've been babbling at you long enough if you want to check out any of these books and let me know what you're thinking, I'd always love to hear from you. You can find me so many different places. Follow me on Goodreads to see what I'm reading every day. Check out my ever-growing want-to-read list. Follow me on Twitter while you're get, where you'll get some fun personal musings as well as I Like to Read updates. Follow the I Like to Read uh, podcast on Apple, YouTube, Spotify. Give me a review. All that jazz. And until next time, stay reading. Bye. Bye.